My name's John Redmond from First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And on today's program, we're going to be listening to a sermon that I preached recently to our church here in Pasadena about heaven and about what it's going to be like in heaven. And, you know, one of the things that will come out in some of the sermons we'll be listening to in the weeks to come is the fact that most of us as Christians, even though we believe in heaven, even though we're looking forward to going to heaven, most of us don't think all that much about heaven. And that's really sad because God has designed heaven not only to be a future blessing for us and our ultimate eternal home, God has designed heaven to give us encouragement, to give us strength, even as we go through the problems in life. In other words, there's something about heaven. If we think about heaven, if we remember that we're on our way to heaven, that thought process kind of helps put life's problems and challenges and difficulties into a better perspective. And I think that's why the Bible says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so today, whatever you may be facing in your family, in your health, in your finances, whatever you might be going through, I just encourage you to remember you're passing through. You're going somewhere greater. If you're a child of God, if you have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you are on your way to heaven. And by thinking about heaven, life becomes much sweeter and some of the problems in life become much lighter for us to carry. And so I hope today that this message will be a real blessing and an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Amen and amen. Thank you for being in church today. And we are excited that today is promotion day. Schools are starting back, have started in some cases. And we have moved our high school students and our college students into the 11 o'clock service. So now we have junior high, high school, college students in this service. And so today, if you are in one of those three categories, would you guys stand up? I want to recognize you. I want to make sure you're awake. Okay, stand up. High school, college, junior high students. We're glad that you guys are here today. Go ahead and sit back down. I just believe we're going to see one of these days this whole section all the way up to the top and even this section coming back down on the side is going to be full of students. And so we're just glad that, that you guys are here today. Glad all of you are here today. And I think you've chosen a good day to come because I'm preaching on the best possible subject in the whole wide world. I'm going to do a sermon today on heaven. Now, you didn't get any better than that. If you believe in heaven, say Hallelujah. If you want to go to heaven, say praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. I heard about a pastor in a small country church. He was preaching one Sunday on heaven. I mean, he, was, he had that congregation in a frenzy. He was talking about the size of heaven, the shape of heaven, the colors of heaven, the sounds of heaven, what it's like in heaven. I mean, he just, and at the very end of his sermon, he said, how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Well, everybody raised their hand except this one little boy on the back row. It confused that pastor. He looked back and he said, young man, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, oh, yes, sir, I want to go. I just thought you were getting up a load for today. And I think, you know, sometimes we're like that boy. All of us want to go to heaven. I mean, who doesn't want to go to heaven? 
But the fact is, so many of us are so intertwined in life on earth that if God gave us the option, many people would say, God, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go right yet. I've got some things that I want to do down here on earth. I want to just put my cards on the table right out front. I want to go to heaven, and I'd be glad to go today. You should have said amen louder than that. (laughs) I want to go to heaven, and I'd be glad to go today. Are you amening me going to heaven and getting out of here? Or because you would like, let's do it this way. It would be a good thing if we all ended up in heaven today. How's that? Would that be a good thing for us? So open your Bibles today to John chapter 14, classic passage of scripture on heaven. In fact, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples in the upper room there in Jerusalem on the Thursday night before he was crucified on Friday. He had been talking to his disciples about his impending death, and he knew that they were afraid. They were things they didn't understand. The thought of losing Jesus was more than they could bear. Death did for them what it does for us. It frightens us. It intimidates us, and we don't know what to think about it. And so Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, John 14, 1 through 6, and they brought comfort to those disciples' hearts, and these words have been bringing comfort to the people of God for the last 2,000 years. Many times at a funeral service, you'll hear the minister read John 14, 1 through 6. Here are the words of Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. On these Sunday mornings, we've been studying these seven I am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And today, we come to the sixth of those seven statements where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That statement is so important. The truth there is so significant. I don't even want to preach on that verse today. Come back on another Sunday and we'll do a sermon just on why Jesus is the only way to heaven. Why can't all these other religions get people to heaven? Why only Jesus? Well, that's a sermon for another day. But today, I want us to think about heaven, the reality of heaven, the perfection of heaven, and how wonderful heaven is. It's interesting, on Monday of this past week when I started preparing the sermon for today, I originally had two main points for this sermon. I was going to talk about how great heaven is, that's point one. And then I was going to talk about how heaven, a knowledge of heaven, a belief in heaven, an anticipation of heaven should change everything about our lives right here and right now. And yet as I worked on that through the week, I thought that is two different sermons. And so today, I want us just to think about the place called heaven. And next week, I do want to follow that up with a sermon about how heaven, how, how a future home in heaven can change everything about our lives here on earth, our perspective, our attitude, 
and how we view difficulties and challenges, knowing that we're going to heaven. But that's its own sermon. And so today, the thought is so very simple. In fact, if I were going to take the whole sermon and condense it down into one sentence or to one statement, this would be the statement that I think I would use. Heaven is the place where our dreams, our hopes, and all of our desires is ultimately fulfilled. Let me say that again. Heaven is the place where all of our dreams, all of our desires, all of our hopes, all of our aspirations, heaven is the place where all those things are fulfilled. Now, you may never have thought about it, but you have in your heart a desire for something better than you have right now. All of us do. We have a desire for something more than we're currently experiencing. We have a desire for something better than we currently have. We have a desire for something newer. We always there's something in the human heart that always wants more. We're never truly satisfied. And we wonder where did that desire come from? Well, did you know there is a sense in which that desire came from God? It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 that God has placed eternity within the human heart. Think about that. God has placed eternity within the human heart. What does that mean? Well, it means several things. First of all, it means that inside of you, I'm looking at you right now and you're looking at me, but you're not really looking at me and I'm not really looking at you. We're just looking at each other's bodies. But inside of our body, there is a, an immortal, eternal soul. And when it says God has placed eternity in our hearts, it means there's a part of you that will never die. Better said, you will never die. The real you will never die. Your body will die, but you'll not die. Bodies die, souls don't die. Bodies are mortal, souls are immortal. Bodies age, souls are ageless. God has placed eternity in our hearts, and so we have within us an eternal soul. But not only is that what it means when it says God has placed eternity in our hearts, it means that God has placed within the human heart, this is, listen very carefully to this, a desire for eternity. See, this is the thing that all of us have, and yet few of us have properly diagnosed. God, when he made you, placed in your heart a desire for eternal life, a desire for heaven, a desire for perfection. And many of us go through our whole lives trying to fulfill that desire with earthly things, right? We want something more. We want something better. We want something newer. And we think if we can get those things, then that desire will be satisfied. But the fact is, it won't. The only thing that will perfectly and completely satisfy the desire God placed in your heart for eternity is eternity. In other words, you have a longing for heaven that you may never have even identified as a longing for heaven. You've just identified it as a longing for something else, a longing for something more, a longing for something better, a longer for a longing for something newer. When in actual fact, it is a longing, it is a desire, it is a craving, it is a hope, it is a dream, it is an aspiration for heaven itself. And there is a sense that that longing will never be satisfied until we get to heaven. Now, what I want to do in the message, you still listen, say amen. What I want to do in this message today is give you several things that you will experience in heaven 
that you will have in heaven that you don't have right now. So if you're a note taker, you can jot these down. If you'd rather just sit there and listen and take it in, sit there and listen and take it in and think with me this morning about some of the perfect things that we will have in heaven that we don't have right now. Number one, when we get to heaven, we, each of us is going to have a perfect body. And everybody over 40 said amen to that. You know, when I was the age of these students, If I would have heard my dad preaching a sermon when I was 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, and he spent a lot of time saying, hey, guys, because this is where our youth section was when I was a teenager growing up, right on this side over here. If he would have said, hey, when you get to heaven, you're going to have a perfect body, I'd have been thinking, well, that's nice, but what's wrong with the body I got right now? My body feels pretty good. My body's pretty strong. And so at 18, to say we're going to get a perfect body, that wouldn't have really been life-changing. At 28, I don't think I would have done backflips thinking about a new body. At 28, I didn't have many. 38, I'd still, but somewhere out there in your 40s, you just think, you know, that whole thing about a new body sounds pretty good right now. And I think the older we get, the more we think, man, that's going to be a great part of heaven. A new body. The fact is, we're, we live in bodies that age, that are prone to sickness and disease, and that ultimately will die. And so even though we do everything we can in these bodies to look the best we can, to feel the best we can, to be as healthy as we can, and that's important and we should do all that, there is a sense in which we're fighting a losing battle. I mean, I got on this thing a few years ago and I said, I'm going to eat more healthy. I've always tried to eat fairly healthy, but I got on this thing. I'm going to eat more healthy. And I started doing all the organic foods and even some of the foods now are still organic. But I got on this deal where I said, I'm going to start drinking organic milk. How many of you drink organic milk? Okay. There are three others who out here who do that. (laughs) And so I was going to, I thought, man, there's no hormones in that stuff. There's no antibiotics. The cows are never given antibiotics. So that's good that you don't put that in your body. And so I was drinking organic milk. But I had an experience. I, I, I think I just got a bad batch of it, but it, is, it has permanently tainted me. It's not, if you drink organic milk, keep drinking it. Don't let this story mess you up. But I'm telling you, it messed me up, and, and, and I could never get over it. The other night, I was home, and I said, I need some milk. I think I'd make some cereal or something. And I noticed the milk smelled a little bit funny. But I thought, well, I paid nearly $5 for a half gallon. I'm drinking this milk. I don't care how it smells. And so I poured it, and I drank a couple of days later, I go back for some more milk, for some more cereal, and I smell that milk, and I said, man, it smells worse tonight. Than, and, you know, it's supposed to be good for another month or so, which I don't understand that either. But it, it, but, and so I, I smelled it, and I said, I don't care how much I paid for this milk. I, I can't drink it. And so I poured it out the sink, and as I was pouring that milk out, this kind of kind of gross you out right before lunch, like clumps started coming <laughs> It was like yogurt, like ice cream. I thought, I need a, I need a spoon to drink, my, to drink my milk. And I thought to myself, those cows may never have had any antibiotics, but if I drink that stuff, I'm going to need some antibiotics. I'm going to be sick. And so I put it out through the carton away. I went to the store. I did something I hadn't done in a long time. I spent $1.13 and got a half gallon of real milk. I mean, and not organic, just normal milk. Antibiotics and all. I mean, I'm taking it all in now. But I just think, by the way, I did find, for those of you who are into this, H-E-B, and I don't get a cut from their profits, but H-E-B has a milk 
that it does maybe have some antibiotics. Now, if you study that, they say that's all been taken out anyway, but it has no hormones added to it. So I'm endorsing publicly today the H-E-B hormone-free milk, and you have to do what you want to do with that. But uh, there are other brands that do that as well. But the point I'm making is we live in these bodies that are aging, that have all these issues, but one day they're going to die, and so there's a sense in which we're fighting a losing battle. But when we get to heaven, we're going to get a brand new body. Now turn to Revelation 21. I want to show you one verse. Revelation 21 and chapter 22, two great chapters in the Bible about heaven, and it describes all of heaven in in clear detail, streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper. It talks about the throne of God. It talks about these trees in heaven that bear fresh fruit every month. I mean, you read Revelation 21 and 22, and you'll learn a great deal about heaven. But in chapter 21 and verse number 4, I love this description of heaven as it pertains to the fact that one day we're going to get a perfect body. We're going to get a body that doesn't have any problems. It says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now watch this next part. There shall be no more, what's the next word? Death. Let's just stop right there. No more death. Your body in heaven will not die. It will not get sick. It will not have any problems. Let me tell you this little brief story that, that is, means something to me. 30 years ago this month, I was 18 years of age, and I surrendered my life to the ministry. June 12th, 1988, I felt God leading me to become a minister, a preacher, and so I surrendered my life. And a few weeks later, when we got into July of 88, I received a phone call from a man named Bruce Fielden. Bruce was the superintendent of a rural school district, a godly, godly man. He was kind of like a farmer or a rancher, owned lots of cattle, owned lots of land there in East Texas. And he had gotten my number and he said, John, I understand a few weeks ago there at First Baptist in Sulphur Springs, you surrendered your life to preach. Is that true? I said, well, it is true. He said, well, have you done any preaching yet? I said, no, not yet. Nobody's asked me to come do anything yet. And he said, well, that's what this call's about. I'm inviting you to come preach it. At our church, small country church, Sulphur Bluff Baptist Church, he said, we'd like for you to come preach. And so I accepted the invitation and went out there and preached a sermon. I thought it would take me about 30 minutes to preach, you know, tell them every, uh, do a good sermon. After 10 minutes, I didn't have anything else to say. I, I would run out of, I'd run out of, t- don't you wish you would have been at that service that day? <laughs> I shut it down pretty early. A few weeks later, Bruce called me and said, hey, John, can you come back and, and we're going to give you a second chance. Can you come preach again? Went back out there and, pre- hey, can you come back? We'll give you a third chance. Preach again. And long story short, I ended up becoming co-pastor of that church. There was a man named Mike Mize who was a, a businessman, but he had a calling on his life to preach and just not in a full-time way. And so bivocationally, he had pastored that church for years, yet his work schedule was taking him out on some Sundays. And so between the two of us, I could come in from Baylor and he could do the other services. And the church only ran about 75 people, maybe a hundred in worship on a really good day. I think it's the smallest church in the history of the world that had co-pastors. It had two of us pastors in that church. It was one of the greatest experiences I ever had in my life. First sermon, first funeral, first wedding, first baptism, first vacation Bible school. I mean, it was, it was just wonderful. And I was out there at that church on and off for about two years. On Sunday mornings, 
And especially on Sunday nights after the service, Bruce Fielden, who was the main deacon. There were two deacons in that church. He was the leading deacon. And, and he and I really developed a relationship, and we would just talk. Talk about God. Talk about church. Talk about life. Talk about cattle. Talk about everything that you'd talk about if you was living out in East Texas. We developed a real friendship. In fact, we have a picture of me and Bruce. This is taken 30 years ago. I want to show you that. There, my buddy, Bruce Fielden. And uh, yesterday, I got a phone call, one of his family members. And they said, John, I've got to tell you something. said, uh, Tuesday night, Bruce fell in, in, in the place where he was living. And when he fell, he hit his head. When he hit his head, he developed a brain bleed. And that brain bleed went from bad to worse, and, and Bruce has died. And they were wanting to know if I could come back this week and, and preach his funeral, which I would give anything if I could, but I just can't because I've already got commitments in Pasadena. They understood that. But I thought, you know, my buddy who taught me so much about God and about life, he's the one who said to me one night, we were out there on that porch, he said, you know, John, you're only 18 years old, and when somebody's 18, most people at 18 have not had a lot of problems in life. He said, you don't seem to have had very many issues in your life. But he said, if you live long enough, you probably will. He said, I want to give you some good advice. He said, somebody gave this to me. I want to give it to you. He said, I want to give you four letters that will help you all the way through your life. I said, four letters? How are four letters going to help me in life? He said, they'll help you. T-T-S-P. I said, Bruce, that doesn't mean anything to me. He said, because I hadn't told you what they stand for. I said, what does TTSP stand for? He said, it stands for this too shall pass. And he said, whatever you're going through in life out there, John, just remember, it's not permanent. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. We're going to a better place. And this too shall pass. Bruce had developed Alzheimer's in the last few years. And yet when I was back in Sulphur Springs in March preaching at First Baptist, he came to one of those services. And after the service, he waited around and talked to me. And I hugged his neck. And we were catching up on old times. And, and he said to me, he said, John, I love you. I've always loved you. I'll always love you. He said, you keep preaching. I said to his family member yesterday, I said, when I saw Bruce, his mind seemed sharp, and he, he knew who I was. I said, I wouldn't have even known he had Alzheimer's had you not told me. I said, did he typically know who I was? She said, John, every time we mentioned your name, he would always say, I love that boy. And I thought, you know, Bruce lived a godly life. He lived a good life, but he's, his body has died. And he's, this is the point that I'm trying to make. Think about it this way. As human beings, we are living in the land of the dying. But praise God, we're going to the land of the living. We're going to a place where there is no death, where there is no sickness, where there is no crying, where there is no sorrow, where there is no pain. We're going to a better place. And one of these days, we're going to get a perfect body. You ought to say amen to that, because that's a great, great truth. Well, we're going to have to stop right there for today. We've run out of time. But that story that I finished with about my friend, Bruce Fielden, back in East Texas, who passed away and and now we know he is with the Lord. He's in heaven. He, he has a clear mind. No more Alzheimer's. No more pain. None of those things for him. And maybe you've lost someone in your life recently who uh, meant the world to you. Maybe a spouse, a parent, a sibling, a child, a friend. And you just need to be reminded today that if that person knew Jesus Christ in a personal way, if they had been saved, that they haven't died. The only thing that has died is their body. But their spirit and their soul is more alive today than, than they've ever been. And they are in heaven. 
they are in a new body, and they are in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you, as you think about your loved one's death, think about it from heaven's perspective. Remember, heaven's a real place, and that's where they are. And then I think about others of our listening audience who, uh, for you, it's not so much right now that you've just been through the, the, the death of a loved one, but it's your own body that is suffering, maybe with a disease or maybe just chronic pain, maybe something that you're facing. Maybe you're confined to a wheelchair. Maybe you're confined to a bed. Maybe you're battling cancer. Maybe something's going on that's causing you all kind of physical pain. I just want to encourage you today to be reminded that you are headed to a place where there'll be no wheelchairs. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no chemotherapy. There'll be no surgery. There'll be no pain. You are headed to heaven. And for those listening today who would say, John, I'm not sure that I'm headed to heaven. I don't know that I've ever been saved. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Would you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me right now, Lord, and I trust you to do it. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, God has heard you. He has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. You are on your way to heaven, and I encourage you. Thank God for that.